This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello and welcome back to Innovations in Parkinson's Disease, a week of insights with UC San Diego experts. We're on our final day today. It's been quite a wonderful week with uh, what we've seen so far. Uh, I'm James Brewer. I'm the chair of the Department of Neurosciences. I'm very proud to be the home department where the Center for Parkinson's Disease and other movement disorders is housed. However, as you've seen this week, this center really reaches out to all the different aspects of this very rich and multifaceted campus at UC San Diego. The first day we highlighted how we're interacting with this top Jacobs School of Engineering at UC San Diego, talking about wearable technology, transforming symptom management. And the second day on Tuesday, we talked about Care Beyond the Clinic, community support programs, showing how we as a center have reached out to many partner organizations to make sure that our center is providing our patients the latest support approaches and making use of all the multidisciplinary aspects that are needed to take care of patients with Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. On Wednesday, we talked about unlocking LARC2, a new drug target, a very important genetic risk factor. And you saw some incredible work that's happening at the basic sciences and structural biology here at UC San Diego that links in with our patient studies in order to advance therapies. On Thursday, yesterday, we talked about 4D biology and cell dynamics, paving the way for personalized medicine. Again, a real highlight of how we're collaborating with the pharmacology department and other groups across campus to advance new therapies in Parkinson's disease. And today we have a tremendous treat for you talking about something that would only happen at UC San Diego, an incredibly uh, robust and bold move to create new neurons in the brain as a, and show its potential to reverse Parkinson's disease. I'm so delighted to have the tremendous speakers that we're going to have today. But first, I want to tell you about our department and why we are unique amongst the nation as a center and department that's called the Department of Neurosciences, which has both clinical neurology inside of it, but also basic translational sciences interacting together, the scientists and the clinicians interacting hand in hand to advance discoveries. And that special sauce has made us the number one NIH funded neurosciences department in the nation. And uh, extraordinary to see this team of people come together to really advance care in neurological disease of all types, headache, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, spinal neuromuscular disorders, multiple sclerosis, Huntington's disease, I could name a number of them that's happening here in the Department of Neurosciences. But I'm delighted to focus this week on uh, the Parkinson's disease care, which really shows how Dr. Irene Litvan's program has made full use of this vibrant environment to advance the care and therapy for Parkinson's patients. So, let, with that, let's uh, talk about uh, our speakers today. Today, we are delighted to have three amazing speakers talking about the creation of new neurons in the brain, 
really a new approach that's never been seen in uh, uh, in neurosciences, and they're going to talk to you about it today. So if the first up is Shidong Fu, who's Distinguished Professor of Cellular and Molecular Medicine. Dr. Fu has long studied the basic biology of RNA and the proteins that bind to it. He's also dedicated his career to studying a protein called PTB, which you're going to hear about today, which is capable of turning genes on and off. His life's work has brought him the most significant discovery yet, the ability to convert astrocytes, a type of, a type of cell in the brain, into healthy neurons by inhibiting one gene, PTB. His lab took this discovery one step further to show in a mouse model the new neurons were capable of replacing those lost to Parkinson's disease. So we're going to be delighted to hear about Zhang Dongfu's uh, research. We're also delighted to have Don Cleveland, the chair of the Department of Cellular and Molecular Medicine and distinguished professor of cellular and molecular medicine and neurosciences. Dr. Cleveland is a pioneer of designer DNA drugs that are currently in clinical trials to treat a range of neurodegenerative diseases, including Parkinson's. For this work, he received the Breakthrough Prize in Life Sciences in 2018, which is a true honor, very rarely given. It's actually a larger prize financially than the, than the Nobel Prize. It's basically uh, Facebook and Google coming together to show scientists that they have such importance similar to what you would see in the Academy Awards. And they highlight the top scientists who have made major breakthroughs. And Dr. Cleveland awarded, was awarded this in 2018 for his amazing work in RNA therapies. You know, hopefully he will talk to you a little bit about that. And then finally, we have Dr. William Mobley, Distinguished Professor, Associate Dean of Neurosciences Initiatives, who's going, who is a uh, fantastic partner to us. His research focuses on neurotrophic factor signaling, especially in the context of neurodegenerative disorders. These include Alzheimer's disease, Down syndrome, and Huntington's disease. His goal is to learn about the causes of dysfunction in neural circuits, which can then lead to developing treatments. His numerous contributions to neurosciences have garnered, garnered him many awards and honors, including both the Zenith and Temple Awards for Research in Alzheimer's Disease from the Alzheimer's Association, the Coetzeeus Award from the American Academy of Neurology, and several other. He's truly an esteemed member of the Department of Neurosciences and has been a tremendous force to bringing groups together to advance translation of discoveries to the bedside. So with that, I'm gonna first uh, invite back our director of the Center for Parkinson's Disease and Other Movement Disorders, Dr. Irene Litvan, to say a few words before we start the presentation. Hi, good morning. Uh, it is a pleasure uh, to have the incredible team of investigators talking to all of you. Uh, many of you have asked about this and uh, now you have the opportunity to listen. But before I say that, let me tell you a little bit about me. I am the professor of neurology. I'm directing the Parkinson's and Movement Disorder Center. I'm interested in early and accurate diagnosed patients so they can be part of uh, studies that can actually treat uh, patients that have a specific disease. Uh, obviously, I'm very interested in treating Parkinson's disease and all the Parkinsonian disorders, and my focus on diagnosing them well is 
to be able to slow the progression or stop or even cure now of Parkinson's disease and other Parkinsonian disorders. As you know, there are no treatments that can slow or stop the progression of Parkinson's disease. However, as I show you on Monday, uh, we do have several studies using different approaches to try to do so. So there are many experimental trials at present, but none of them are with the idea of trying to reverse the disease, that's for sure. So Dr. Fu made an incredible discovery. He found a code to be able to transform astrocytes into neurons. So what are the astrocytes? The astrocytes are cells in the brain that basically they function to regulate the, the brain functions. They are implicated in the development of neurons and the connection between neurons called synapses. They control as well the permeability of the blood-brain barrier that is what sustains basically the environment that is uh, around uh, the cells. Uh, they also limit, for example, or help the entrance of certain uh, molecules and limits the ones that are very, very big. Uh, so there are difficulties in getting them inside the brain, and that's why um, the, the possibilities that this group has found um, are extremely important. So what do the astrocytes, when they are mature, uh, do? They express some of the genes that are enriched in the cell that actually created them, uh, suggesting that they can also retain the proliferations of new cells. Um, what I think it is remarkable is to be able to find a code to regulate, turn on or off those astrocytes to make neurons again. Uh, so this could ideally replace neurons that are damaged or at least those that are about to, to be damaged. So this obviously revolutionized the treatment of Parkinson's and perhaps other uh, neurodegenerative diseases as well. So you will have the last treat of this week uh, with uh, this team of uh, excellent uh, investigators Probably, if this moves forward, they're going to be uh, Nobel Prize winners, obviously. Um, so we are really looking forward to the development of all these uh, uh, therapies. So before I let them talk, I wanted to share uh, one slide that I had uh, shown you the first day you need to understand that this is what we call the early drug delivery. So they have identified a drug uh, and they are trying it in animal models. But there is much more to do. 
So there are studies that are required to show it in animals that are bigger than mice. And there are many steps that go before that, that they will explain. And before all that shows that is safe uh, and is uh, able to really do what it is attempted, then we go into the clinical development uh, of the drug. That is the different phases that I explained last, uh, last uh, Monday. So that would be uh, to try to see if in healthy volunteers and then in patients, um, the drug is safe and we can find the right dose to be able to expand it. And then a phase in which that uh, we do the phase two, in which we do the evaluation of the drug versus the placebo. And the other phases that come along, like the expanding this in a in a bigger population, eventually get the FDA review. And if all goes well, then the drug goes into the market. So this is not something that you're going to have tomorrow. So I just wanted to bring that up uh, to clarify some uh, doubts and some questions that I have already received uh, when seeing patients in clinic. So now, um, Dr. Brewer, take it away. Thank you so much, Irene. That's a great and very helpful slide to tell us about the process of bringing this all the way to the bedside. And I'm just delighted that we're at that beginning phase and where so much of the innovation and creativity is where it's taking place. And this team of folks that we brought together for you is going to talk about it. Thanks very much. And with that, I will turn it over to Drs. Fu, Mobley, and Cleveland. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm so delighted to participate in this uh, uh, lovely event uh, and uh, share with you our excitement made, uh, of discoveries made in the lab by this uh, group of team and colleagues all at UCSD. Uh, so as we can see from this, uh, this slide, uh, Parkinson's disease uh, is caused by the loss of the dopaminergic neurons. As you can see here in, in the anatomy of the human brains, if you take a PET scan, uh, you can see there's a normal brain, you can see there's a, a dopamine a neurons, another one originated actually in the brain region called substantial ligra, and then uh, send their axons to this uh, a, a second brain region uh, called a striatum, where they release uh, a dopamine uh, to neuron to control motor as well as lung motor functions. Uh, as you can see here, uh, normal brains have this uh, lovely uh, dopamine uh, release and retake activities, which can be captured by PET scan. Uh, but on the right, as you can see, in Parkinson's disease brain, uh, this function is damaged, uh, featured by the loss of a dopaminergic neuron uh, in their brain, uh, and then uh, another cause of problems. Uh, and currently, uh, because of intensive studies, Multiple uh, treatment strategies have been developed, which help the patient tremendously, uh, particularly by uh, oral intake of L-DOPA supplement or conduct brain uh, stimulation to improve or stimulating uh, the motor neuron functions. However, it's important uh, that this management uh, is for management of symptoms uh, rather than have any potential to either slow down, halt the disease progress, or even reverse them the disease. 
So that's the problem we are facing, and we try to find a way uh, to address these challenge problems in the lab. And then this is related to actually big picture problems uh, as featured here. Uh, and when the neurons uh, no longer function or died, uh, the question is, uh, can one actually make neuro neuron uh, to replace them? Unfortunately, uh, the dogma in the field of neuroscience uh, is that as put by the, the founder, uh, considered the founder of uh, modern neuroscience, Ramon Cajon, uh, uh, and this is a famous, uh, his famous quote that in adult centuries, the learned path are something fixed, ended, immutable. Everything may die, nothing may generate, may be generated. This is for the science of future to change, if possible, this harsh degree. Uh, and fortunately and excitingly at UCSD, we just overcome this harsh degree by showing it is possible actually to generate new neurons. Therefore, once was thought to be lost permanently, now we can make them uh, appear again, regenerate neurons. Actually, this reminds my, one of my colleagues, uh, 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 Bill Mobley, uh, a, Greek, a Greek son uh, called uh, Christian Sons. Once I was lost, but now I've, I'm found. Was blind, but now I can see. I, I don't know how, uh, what's the tune of these songs. Maybe Bill can uh, sing some to you uh, someday when we have a chance to meet in person. Uh, okay, come back to science. Uh, uh, and then this uh, uh, regeneration things actually has been observed, has been a, a discipline, in fact, that uh, in certain lower animals, like featured here uh, with hydro, uh, that once they lost their body, part of it, they can really grow. Uh, and then they regrow by converting uh, some of those uh, uh, so-called somatic cells back into stem-like cells, and then they generate uh, uh, the rest of the body uh, in a uh, quite efficient way. And in fact, this has been seen in many uh, different forms of amphibians, as I can show illustrated here. We're going to have a look at the way in which an amputated limb grows over the course of about 90 days in a salamander. That's a time-lapse movie, watching that thing grow. And now we're going to see what's really going on. Here's the salamander, and it's got a completely new limb. It looks perfect. It has inside bone. It has nerves and muscle, and it can even wiggle. Now we're watching what the newt can do that we cannot do. Cells are streaming out of the surrounding tissues into the area of the wound and forming what we call a blastema, which is a group of undifferentiated cells that are, in fact, really just like stem cells. And they're multicolored because they come from skin, from muscle, and even from cartilage. And these have a miraculous memory of what they used to be and are able to form a perfectly functional limb. Therefore, if amphibian can do that, many other lower vertebrate can do that. What about mouse, monkey, or even our own brain? So that's the questions that has been fascinating the scientific world for, for, for many decades. And then this bring up to the central nervous systems. Now that we know uh, our brain started with uh, human stem cells and then turned into the neural progenitors. And then those neural progenitors give rise to uh, neurons as well as atrocyte. So therefore, this atrocyte and the neurons actually 
are twin brothers, uh, a brother and a sisters. Can this, the identity of this uh, a brother and a sisters uh, derived from uh, common parents uh, being switched? Uh, so that's the question we're asking. Now we've found, indeed, it is possible to do so. Uh, we identify a PTB, uh, uh, Jim mentioned, uh, RNA binding protein not a function as a master regulator of cell identity in uh, the development. Uh, and we found uh, this particular molecules is actually progressively decreased when one cell become neurons, indicating that it serves as an important gatekeeper for neurogenesis, this important process. This uh, uh, brings us uh, to a general concept that we're highlighting here, uh, the cell, uh, cell identity or identity theft. Can we uh, experimentally uh, either enhance or stimulate this process to supply our brain new, new neurons that are lost to degeneration? So uh, at a molecular level, uh, we have spent a long time and figure out how these things uh, work. Uh, and uh, revealing uh, two general uh, regulatory loop uh, without labeling you with details. We just want to highlight some of the key feature in these regulatory circuitries. As you can see here, between neuron and azure site, this portion uh, of the regulatory event, you can see here, every component looks identical. The still size represented their level of expression. But the only difference is the front one. Uh, the first uh, loop uh, that, that operating differently in neuron was atricide with this PDB protein highly expressed in atricide, but very low in neurons. So to illustrate this point further, let me make a cartoon. I made a cartoon to illustrate this one. It's as if in order to change the identity of atricide to neuron, we have to go through two bridges. And interestingly, most of the cells, both bridges are not uh, lower yet, so that you have an incredible barrier uh, to get through this process. But however, in atricide, uh, it's quite different. The second bridge is already lowered. It's there for traffic to flow. And what we need to do is to make the first bridge connected uh, for, for the traffic to go. Now we can generate new neurons. So the, this is the concept. And this is how the molecular pathway told us to do. And we demonstrated this may indeed the case as shown in the next slides. The next slides, we isolate the atrocyte from mouse brain. And in fact, we also test uh, isolated atrocyte from human brain. And then when, when these slides were treated with our reagents, i.e. by molecularly suppressing this protein called PDB, then we turn all those cells into a neuron. And they show the markers uh, for, for neurons, like this one, uh, this red ones is all the neurons share uh, these markers. And then this uh, uh, green ones is only mature neurons share the, uh, uh, express these markers. And together, this slide shows that we can not only generate neurons, but also functional ones that show all kinds of characteristics characteristics of a mature neuron can do. Okay, so this is a new neuron we can generate in vitro. And then more interestingly, now we apply this approach to a mouse brain directly without going through all those tedious aspects of in vitro manipulation of cells. And indeed, we can see here, as you can see on, on, on the right side, that if you uh, stain the mouse brain uh, with this uh, type 
uh, tyrosine hydroxylase, which is the marker for dopaminergic neuron, you can see in the two hemispheres, both left and right, uh, you can see uh, this uh, uh, dopaminergic neuron originally in Nigra uh, and then projected into uh, this uh, a broad region called uh, stratums. And in the diseased brains, we can create, recapitulate these disease conditions uh, in mouse brain uh, by uh, induced the damage of those dopaminergic neuron. As you can see here, this side of the brain, uh, we, we injected uh, uh, molecules uh, that basically wipe out the whole population of uh, dopaminergic neuron. This is what I showed you in the PET scan in human brain as well, in Parkinson's brain as well. Now, remarkably, after reprogramming by injecting uh, our reagent uh, via a virus, and then we can restore this population of dopaminergic neurons by staining. And most importantly, we can show as featured in the uh, left side that uh, this uh, uh, healthy brain uh, generated a high level of striatum dopamine. Uh, and then this dopamine is reduced to a basal level uh, because the loss of a dopaminergic neuron. And then after reprogramming, we can significantly restore uh, their functions, this dopamine level in the brain. And then with this uh, uh, demonstration of a chemical and a morphological uh, uh, restoration, most importantly, we show uh, this is also completely reflect at the behavior level. We, we call the, uh, this remarkable process of disease re uh, reversal. As you can see here in normal mice, and we measured their motor uh, symptoms, uh, uh, which we generally Characterize them as the Parkinsonian phenotype, uh, which actually measure uh, one directional uh, rotation uh, phenotype in the mouse brain. As you can see here, uh, there's little uh, bias in rotating either clock or counterclockwise. So that's why the baseline is zero here with normal mice. And then you can see here uh, with the uh, dopamine deficient mice, all mice actually rotated in one direction. So this is a feature of, of the disease. And incredibly, after reprogramming, every single one uh, going down in a time-caused manner. Uh, in two months or three months, now the most mouse return uh, their normal level of behavior, indicating that we have achieved a disease reversal. And, and we have been monitored at least one group of these mice uh, for their lifetime. And the reversal is a lifetime achievement. So they are completely normal like, like the rest of the mice. So this is uh, demonstrating that uh, it is possible to make a new neuron and make them to replace the lost ones and restore the functionalities. So at this point, we are now uh, at the point to translate our basic science discovery to a novel, what we call cell replacement therapy. And for this purpose, we may actually do better than just using virus, which is designed for uh, providing experimental evidence. Uh, the better approach would be to use so-called designer DNA drug that has been pioneered by my colleague, uh, Don Cleveland, as introduced earlier by James, uh, uh, Dr. Brewer. Now we can use this designer drug to convert atrocyte uh, to neurons. And in fact, we can even do better that we can not only make a new neurons, but in the meantime, combine with a different uh, DNA designer drug to inactivate disease genes. Thus, we are able to make not only new neurons, but make a new healthier new neurons. So at this point, uh, I would like to 
let Dr. Cleveland to bring you the recent highlight in the development of this designer DNA drug in fighting against Parkinson's disease, as well as many other neurodegenerative diseases. What I'd like to describe very briefly today was the, the, the process of discovery and then development of using designer DNA drugs to change gene expression within the nervous system as therapy for neurodegenerative disease, and then how we're going to now exploit that to make replacement neurons in Parkinson's disease. The discovery, which began in the, about 15 years ago, was that we could use little pieces, snippets of DNA, the substance that genes, our genes are made of, and, if you, and you can synthesize them, and if you can get them inside the target cell, neuron, astrocyte, whatever, then the little piece of DNA can bind to pair with the, in, the inter, information intermediate from any target gene, selected target gene, and it forms a hybrid with that target gene and makes the, the information intermediate, an RNA, look like a viral product and we have a natural viral mechanism that tries to, uh, antiviral mechanism that then destroys that information intermediate. And so if we could do that for any selected target gene, like PTB, the gene that, uh, the protein that uh, Dr. Fu just discussed, then we could turn off PTB. And what, what the investigators, my, uh, that uh, team that I led here at UC San Diego, what we did was to demonstrate that with these designer DNA drugs that we could deliver them very broadly throughout uh, the nervous system and effectively. And indeed, we, we determined that, you know, when you take an aspirin, you get, you know, three or four hours worth of relief. But we discovered that after modifying these DNAs, these little designer DNA drugs, to modifying them appropriately, we don't get three or four hours of relief. We don't get three or four days of relief, not three or four weeks either. It's actually three to four months worth of efficacy. So now we're going to dose, dose uh, animals or uh, patients, um, you know, three or four times a year. And, and over the years, the, why, why do we call it designer DNA? Well, this is the DNA backbone that you see in the, in the structures on the right-hand side of the slide. And that backbone, uh, you can modify. Uh, the, the DNA and mis and we have the chemists have now done that and and produced DNAs that are that that bind to the target intermediate with ten times the affinity of authentic DNA and give this very long uh, lasting uh, efficacy and here's one such example of what how these designer DNA drugs can be used and it was the discovery of the gene that is the most frequent cause of the motor neuron disease ALS frequently called Lou Gehrig's disease. It's also happens to be the cause of the second most frequent dementia. And that discovery was, as you can see here, was on September 21st, 2011. And using des designer DNA drugs, we designed the therapy the day after the therapy approach. We achieved proof of principle that we could change the expression of this disease causing gene to silence it. We achieved the proof of principle in 2015. And we dosed the first patient at UC San Diego in uh, September of 2018, about seven years, almost exactly seven years from the discovery of the, the, of the gene target. Additionally, in this Lou Gehrig's disease uh, 
A, a gene was discovered by a pair of teams, mine and a team at Harvard, you, as you see here in early January of 2019. We think it's, a, we think it's the best target for therapy for, for almost all instances of ALS. And our timescale now, even with COVID last summer, we achieved proof of principle using a designer DNA drug that we could restore, that we could change the synthesis of the gene who, um, that is implicated in broadly in ALS. And we now propose that, that we can, working with a San Diego company, Ionis, that we can get to clinical trial uh, in, in 2023, about four years from the dis discovery of the original gene. And even more so for Parkinson's, there is, uh, and you heard, and so those of you who uh, participated yesterday will have heard much about LARC2. It's a gene whose mutation is the most frequent cause of inherited Parkinson's disease, and the gene becomes hyperactivated in that disease. And uh, as uh, Dr. Brewer mentioned in the introductions before, I, I was fortunate in 2018 to receive the Breakthrough Prize in Life Sciences. I received it from Sergey Brin, the, the founder of Google. And uh, Brin uh, is, uh, he's quite public about it. He's probably the most famous uh, individual who, has, who carries a LARC LARC2 mutation. And indeed, I, I chatted with him to, to say that we were going to have an on-target therapy for uh, Parkinson's disease from LARC2. And indeed, well, we're going to use our designer DNA drug to turn down this hyperactive gene, LARC2 gene. And indeed, that trial initiated just, uh, very late in 2019, just before the COVID explosion, uh, partnered uh, uh, with the UC, UC San Diego strategy partnered with Ionis and their large uh, pharma partner, uh, Biochip. Okay, so in summary, over the last 15 years from efforts at UC San Diego, there have been now, as, you, as we count them here, seven uh, approaches to treat uh, degenerative diseases of the human nervous system, one in kids, in children, in a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. And that uh, is the first approved uh, approach uh, for using this designer DNA drug therapy in the, the, the human nervous system. It, it takes a fatal childhood disease and turns it into kids who are now five and six years old walking. Uh, it, we're hopeful that, that this will be a very long-term efficacy. There are ongoing trials in a ALS, one for, for mutation in one gene, the SOD1 gene. That's now in a large phase three trial where we're, we're hopeful that we're really going to, we're going to see next year whether how effective that we've been. We have a, an additional trial to target a gene product that accumulates apparently in Alzheimer's disease. And a fourth one at the top of the slide, a fourth one in off the top left for the most frequent cause of uh, ALS that I mentioned earlier that, that went to trial uh, patient dosed at UCSD in, uh, in, in 2018. And in Parkinson's disease in the red box, I indicated we have LARC2 uh, as a target and we have a second target uh, for a gene that whose product misaccumulates in almost every Parkinson's patient. That too initiated about a year ago. Okay, so now why am I mentioning that? Well, that is back to this example that Dr. Fu introduced where you use chemically killing the, the substantial nigral neurons on one side of a mouse. And here again, you see that image where the neurons on one side, these dope, 
uh, these tyrosine hydroxylase positive green neurons in this image. There's the, the normal ones on the left-hand side and killed most of them on the right-hand side and their innervation into, this, into the higher regions of the brain where their job is to deliver dopamine. And as Dr. Fu indicated, what we're gonna try to do now is to use a designer DNA drug, single dose injection to now determine, can we make replacement neurons that will grow up and replace the missing ones on this, on this right-hand side of the mouse brain? And if you look at normal mice and do behavioral assays, they always behave normally, no surprise there. But now if you take these mice in which we've induced Parkinson's-like disease and measure them uh, right after that, what do you see? You see, oh, there's Parkinson's-like disease in one, two, three, four, five, six mice. And now we ask if we dose them with a designer DNA drug to suppress PTB, what happens? And the answer is the most, the, the most affected mouse gets better by over a three month period. So does the next one, so does the next one, so does the next one. In fact, six of these seven of our mice that we've treated with this designer DNA drug have generated replacement neurons that have restored dopamine synthesis in those mice, reversed the disease course, Oh, and all but one, the one in red. Oh yeah, where we almost certainly failed to correctly inject the drug. As excitingly, you can do this in normal animals, just suppressing PTB in the portion of the brain most affected in Alzheimer's disease, you can generate new neurons. And there, these are, and you look at the bands, the band of green neurons in this region of the, of the mouse brain. Now you see some yellow neurons. Those are ones that we carefully marked to show that they're the new ones and they make these beautiful red processes that, uh, that receive signal inputs, they integrate into the normal circuitry and we can do this in aged mouse. So we argue that yes, a designer DNA drug to suppress PTB can generate new neurons in the real mouse. Okay, so how are we gonna now develop a therapy in Parkinson's disease? Well, we know that converting these astrocytes into replacement neurons is a, is a strategy that has succeeded in this example of the Parkinson's-like disease in mice. We think it's probably it's going to be useful broadly in multi, many uh, different neurodegenerative diseases. And that even more so, if you make a new neuron, but it has it's, it's susceptible to the disease mechanism that, that was killing the original neurons. Ah, we can use additional uh, designer DNA drugs to suppress the intrinsic disease mechanism as well. So we can slow disease advance and generate new replacements. And that's exactly what we're proposing to do. And to dis discuss that with you, I'd like to invite my colleague, Dr. Bill Mobley to discuss, you know, how would you take the work from where it is today into real therapy? Bill. Thanks, Don, and thanks, Fu, and <clears throat> thanks to everyone who's listening in this afternoon. Uh, what you're listening to is really a revolutionary story. It's a, it's a case of lost and found, if you will. It's a case in which neurons that are lost, whose loss is quite devastating, have actually been found again through conversion of astrocytes to those missing neurons. And that is remarkable. Who would have thought five years ago that we would be having this discussion? I don't think I would have. Oh, I knew Fu and I knew what he was up to. But at that point, it was pretty basic science. And whereas we could have cheered it on, 
there was no guarantee that that would ultimately translate from a tissue culture dish to a mouse and to a mouse model of Parkinson's disease. But here we are. What is What was lost has now been found. And it's our job now at UCSD to build upon this body of evidence so that we can make this really remarkable finding available and bring hope to those people who have lost something, but who now may be able to be rescued from their disease. And not just Parkinson's disease, but surely Parkinson's is a great first case, but we've got work to do. We're at that first early stage that Irene showed, those first two chevrons, early sort of discovery and early preclinical. We have to really understand whether our approach is going to work in other models of Parkinson's disease. It's very important for us to create as much as possible a disease-relevant context going forward. We have to learn how to do this in old astrocytes. Old astrocytes may be less easily converted than young ones, but we think we have strategies that will allow us to address that. Clearly, if one's going to treat people who are elderly, one is going to have to be able to convert their astrocytes to new neurons. We have to show this is safe. We have to show that by down-regulating, by pushing PTB levels down, that we don't cause adverse effects. We have to, as mentioned earlier, we have to protect those known neurons from harm. We have to make sure that they survive indefinitely, that in some ways, or in most ways, they're not susceptible to the same underlying mechanisms that cause their partners, now dead partners, to die. We have to show that our approaches work not just in mice, but in non-human primates. The primate brain is much more like the human brain than the mouse brain, and it's much bigger. And we need to know that both the mechanisms are working and that those new neurons can grow their axons effectively to striatum. And we need to revise and enhance the compounds we're using. We need to be quite clever about the reagents we're developing and we need to be thoughtful about how to deliver these reagents to the brain. I'm very excited about the ASO approach. I couldn't be more excited, but we still need to develop and enhance our thinking about those reagents and others so that we can bring them to the well being of those people that suffer from Parkinson's disease. As a neurologist, I've never really ever before conceived of the idea that we could reverse disease in severely affected people. We, we, we rally around preventing disease, and of course we should do that. And we deliver symptomatic therapy, and that's helpful. And we always hope that we can make the disease manifestations less severe. But the concept of finding new neurons is revolutionary. And it happened here at UCSD. It happened because a basic science idea convened a discussion among colleagues that ultimately, I think, provides great promise. So there is a realistic hope for people who suffer. And it comes from UCSD, its scientists, its clinicians. 
Thanks for listening. Fantastic. I mean, truly inspiring in many ways. And I invite Irene Litvan to come back to the fore as we start the question and answer period. Thank you, Drs. Foove, Cleveland, and Mobley. And we look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on some of these questions that are coming through. There's a lot of folks very inspired by the work that you're doing. So one of the questions, which is great, or comment, watching this presentation fills me with hope and joy. I know there's work needed to get this from breakthrough to actual therapy, but I imagine many of us will mark today on our calendar, signifying one of the most important days of our lives. So I hope that fills you with inspiration as you move forward toward bringing this to the bedside. A question that that uh, person has for Dr. Fu and the whole team. How So we'll pre- present this to Dr. Fu. How does it feel to see this technique showing so much promise? Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I have been devoting uh, most of my career uh, in the past of 40 years in study basic research. And many, many of us do. But even those working in the medical school, the question is how, how frequently one would run into discovery that actually can be useful and can fundamentally uh, change uh, or affect somebody. And I'm pleased to have this opportunity. This is it's not by design. It's by chase, by pursuing scientific questions one after the other, as everybody do, but not everybody run into such opportunities. So I'm, I'm so pleased. Uh, I, how come I'm a lucky one to run into this phenomena and ended up making discovery? But importantly, it's not just me. It's my postdoc, my students, I mean, my colleague. Uh, that provided this a complementary expertise so that any kind of a finding uh, phenomena have been captured and have been pursued uh, and then realized its potential. So it is a community fact, and we like to continue that. Right. And another uh, proud uh, proud uh, alumna of UCSD says, I, as being a 16-year-old carrier of LARC-2, second generation with Parkinson's disease, I'm thrilled with this. I'm still proud of my alma mater. So thanks so much for that. Um, there are questions about <clears throat> PTB in general. Uh, what uh, can you, I know you've talked about PTB and once we start Dr. Fu, who is very enthusiastic about his science, talking about PTB, he could go on for the rest of the time here. But I think there's a couple of questions. Do you, do you have concern about the possibility of uh, adverse reactions such as inappropriate of cells like what would be cancer? Uh, would there be benefit potentially for dementia? And is PTB expressed in cell types other than astrocytes? Uh, can you go after those at certain terms okay. of- Okay, I think uh, I should elaborate some of those points. And I think uh, either Don or, uh, or Bill can uh, fill up that one, especially with regard to, uh, for treatment of dementia. Uh, because that has been implicated in the last uh, uh, second slides. Okay, PDB. So PDB is an interesting molecule f- in, in the field we're working on. It's a basic science, of course. And most people don't even know who discovered the PDB, not by me, okay? Uh, this is, uh, was discovered by Phil Sharp, Philip Sharp, a Nobel laureate who discovered RNA processing. Uh, actually, who uh, is the founder of a biology? Okay, so they, they, so they discovered that and then they thought it's just doing something basic science, piece DNA together, and then abandoned it. 
Okay, and then this kind of uh, abandoned, uh, I mean, you started a new project and, and then forget about it and then pick up by somebody else. So I'm almost the third generation of scientists to pick up. I mean, we are contemporary, but we just run into these uh, problems and then pick up again. The reason we pick up these things again is that almost like everybody in the field forgot about these genes. We accidentally discovered purely by chance that when we try to get rid of this gene to study its biochemistry, one of my postdocs forgot to take their plate out in time and left in the incubator for two weeks and then later found out everything become a neuron. And then we found out everything we treat, we treat that way that become a neuron and that's astonishing ourselves. And after 10 years of chasing the mechanism, we reach where we are, okay? So that's the first question. The second question is that what a lot, if you lower down the PTB, you will cause some problems. That's the possibility is every therapy has some of those kind of problems. And then what in this- Yeah, yeah Fu, if I can interrupt Fu, maybe yeah. there, what I'd, it's certainly possible that, that the approach to suppress PTB could, you could make too many neurons. Yeah. You can you can make too many other kinds of neurons. But so however, th these these are these are the questions that we have to answer that, that now have to be resolved. But the designer DNA drug approach, you're not chronically lowering PTB. You're transiently lowering PTB, and we can control that by but in a dose by dosing dosing appropriately or by the chemistry of those designer DNA drugs that we can control how long live the effect will be. So I, I think it's, it's, of course it's a concern, but it's not one that's an unmanageable concern, at least, uh, at, le at least today, it seems actually that we have real reason for optimism that, right. that it can really be done. And one thing I failed to mention in my talk was that we have generated these new neurons uh, in aged mice. So it's, this can work in aged mice. So of course we want to, to uh, enhance that further, but uh, uh, it, the, the, it, it is, we've only reached the tiniest tip of, an, of what I think is going to be a very large iceberg of what can now be done by uh, overturning Ramoni Cajal's original uh, proposal that you couldn't make new neurons. Uh, in, in the nervous system. And we have established, yes, you can. And so uh, we can, and, and the, the, but, you know, it will take much development as Dr. Mobley outlined to get this to, to, to an actual clinical trial, but it's gonna happen. Great, but let me just I add think, on. I think okay. I would like to make an, a note of caution here. Uh, there are many, uh, developments in basic science that cannot be translated. And there are studies in mice that do not translate into other uh, animals or humans. So I just want to make sure that you understand that this is a real possibility and I hope it really works, but we need to see how it works in um, monkeys, for example, before we can go into humans. So it has to be some other steps before we get to humans to make sure that A, it works, B, that uh, control the side effects. So yeah. I want to make sure we understand that this is not something that uh, we can start right away and going into humans. I'd like to reinforce that. And, and just, I totally agree with Irene 
In fact, if you ask how many great new therapies that have cured diseases in mice are curing disease in people, <clears throat> it's a tiny fraction. Having said that, our job is really to keep trying, right? Our job is to keep hoping. Our job is to creep in, keep investigating and discovering things. And regarding the comment about dementia, theoretically, any disorder in which lo a lo loss of a population of neurons contributes measurably to symptoms, to disability, is a target. So I, I think we should be very thoughtful about the potential broad applicability of this. But yes, we've got, we're just beginning our journey. It's just the very beginning. It's going to be a long journey. I wish it wasn't, but it will be. But in the end, because of who we are as an institution, as investigators, as a collection of scholars, we'll do the right work and we'll do it carefully. Yeah. Let me just yeah. add one sentence here that we actually, uh, there's a conversion process can take place equal with equal efficiency in human cells compared to mouse cells. So that's the encouraging first step. But the next step, of course, to show the, uh, the monkey brain, we can get the same thing to work. So that will be a major milestone. Okay, Jim. Fantastic. Yeah, no, and I think it does tie into our IPSC comments that we've had. We talked uh, in the prior <laughs> sessions at that to be able to use models that are human without yet being in the living human, but you used, right. uh, using actual human neurons. Irene? Yeah, I wanted to add as well that dopamine is one of the chemicals that are in, affected in Parkinson's disease. It is the one that really has to do with the motor uh, circuits, but it isn't the only one. And there are others that have to do with cognition, others that have to do with the blood pressure, etc. So there, disease is not just in one area. And I, 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 so there is many cells that will need to be converted. As uh, Dr. Mobley said, uh, we have to be cautious and we have to do things carefully as we plan to do. So we're not planning to go into humans tomorrow. Great. And uh, so there were questions, another one about uh, dementia with Lewy bodies. I'm going to count that as answered, as Bill talked about uh, replacing uh, neurons uh, in any such illness. Uh, a question, is uh, PTB expressed in cell types other than astrocytes? Mm, that's a good question. Okay. Actually, a PTB expressed in every cells except the neurons. So that's why uh, you can get rid of those things to turn cell into the neuron. And then Don actually mentioned that, uh, what if you turn too many cells into neuron? In fact, that do not happen as I uh, showed the cartoon. You need the two bridge to be connected. And then only astrocyte has one of the bridge connected. So all you need to do is overcome the other. The rest of the cell can become some kind of a neuron-like cell, but they are not neurons. So ah, this is why. interesting. And also, if you get uh, the PDB suppression reagent, uh, uh, by accident into neuron, in fact, it won't do anything because uh, there's not uh, no, there's no target there either. Uh, and then and, and then Don also mentioned we can do this in a transient way. So that means you can control the dose. In fact, genetics have proven you cannot get rid of these genes. Otherwise, the animal will die very early in the embryo. 
Okay. Thank you. So that's why everything starts to fit using this a transient approach and replace whatever you need. Thanks so much. So that sounds like uh, an answer to the question, can PTB be safely expressed in people that already have cancer? I'm going to say that that is a yes, because it's such a controlled process. Well, and I've fact, also- let me add this. Uh, there was an exciting development beyond this brain repair. Uh, people have shoot this reagent into brain tumor. Uh, there's a, a, a glioblastoma, which is an untreatable brain tumor. And when you shoot in PDB, those tumors stop to grow right away. Oh, wow. Amazing. So uh, th- then you, uh, this leads into then what about spinal cord injury? These experiments will be straightforward in models in PD. What about uh, using this in spinal cord injury? Don, thoughts? Why not? Yeah, of course. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I was trying to indicate, yeah, I think it's a, that what we've done th- thus far is a, a transformative step, but it's only the first of, step of many that are required uh, to, to determine how broadly uh, can this be used. So certainly that, that can be done and we can and we know we can deliver these designer day drugs very, very effectively uh, to, to, to the spinal cord. Fantastic. So I'm going to uh, call it there. I'm, I'm, a couple of the answers that sounded like, can this be used in an elderly Parkinson's patient? It is true that uh, uh, that you know, you at least saw this in aged models. Um, we still have a lot of work to do. There's other questions about how do we get involved in clinical trials. Irene answered that, I believe. And we've talked about that. I actually couldn't do that. Okay. Uh, well, we have the website to, but they're not trials going on right now for participation no, 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 in no, this no. particular uh, therapy. And also, these neurons do form connections because otherwise, we wouldn't they have do. seen, we would not have seen the uh, phenotype change in behavior. So the answer is yes. These new neurons do form connections, and uh, we talked. We answered the one about are there human trials for this in dystonia? Not yet. And how do we become involved in clinical trials? Check the website of the Center for Other Trials. And uh, a huge thank you. So that's great. That's where we're going to call it. I want to thank not only our presenters all week, but also our attendees for coming on this fantastic event that really was a showcase of an incredible center that we have here at UC San Diego. I invite you to stay engaged with us in the Department of Neurosciences as we send out new newsletters and uh, other updates of goings on at our department. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please like and subscribe. (laughs) Well, I don't know if we have that yet, but we would love to have you be a part of our long-term connection to our department. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for a great week. We look forward to being in touch with you soon. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.